Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Joe Fulgham. I'm Sasha Smolders. This is The Sandman, Issue 9, Tales in the Sand. Now that we've finished the first trade paperback, that first collection, Preludes and Nocturnes, how did that turn out differently from what you expected? Like, what kind of were you thinking would happen with this Sandman comic that we were going to be reading that you knew was a big deal? And what did you get? Like, where did that line up? I think I thought that the other endless characters would be in it more. Mm. Um, I had a, a bit of... I think the only thing that I sort of knew about Sandman before I started reading was I knew about a handful of the endless characters. Right. Um, and I sort of knew that they existed. I knew that that's what Dream was. And so I think I, I, I sort of assumed that they would be a bigger part of the story, like that, you know, they multiple ones would appear in at least every issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that they're not in it as much is something that was different from what I expected. Okay, yeah. Um, what I think, like, the biggest thing I've taken away from it in regards to how overall the writing fits into all of Neil's work, which <laughs> I'm super not, like, even remotely qualified to, <laughs> to really have much of an educated opinion on, so right, please don't okay. take this as but, an educated opinion. But the work that you've been exposed yeah, to. I think it definitely reminds me most of American Gods, Mm-hmm. And a bit of a Nancy Boys, but definitely American Gods. It's reminding me a lot of American Gods, uh, the darkness of it, these characters that have these long pasts that it's not necessary for you to know, but you get little glimpses of it mm-hmm. when reading the narrative. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's probably the closest one I would I would get to this. I would agree with that from his other works, yeah. which. Uh, I saw the trailer. We watched the trailer together for the Very American recently. Gods yeah. uh, TV series that that it aired in a Comic Con, right? Was released at Comic Con. Yeah, yeah. San Diego Comic Con just happened as we were uh, recording this. Mm-hmm. I think it. I think it. Yeah, it's probably still or no, it, it finished uh, yesterday. Yeah. And uh, they showed the first trailer for American Gods, which will be on Stars. Hmm. Which I think has a streaming app, so you can just pay money to their streaming app and uh, get access to it. Which mm-hmm. we we are not being paid by stars, <laughs> not yet. No, stars pay us. Hey, maybe we should do. <laughs> we'll do the American Gods podcast. I would actually totally do that. I would love to do that. Maybe yeah. we'll do that. Okay, so yeah, you th- so you thought there would be more endless. I in think it. yeah. I think because mm-hmm. there's we are only, only met... eight issues in. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just thought that they would be more of a. Uh, a regular cast of characters. Right. I think that's valid, but also we are looking at the first eight and we're introducing the main character. Yeah. No, and no. Also, that wasn't meant to be a criticism. No, it's no, really I get just it. What I, I get it. I'm just explaining was. kind of the why that would happen. Yeah. So I think uh, your desire for more endless will probably pay off. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> desire. Ooh. I mean, we've had desire mentioned in this comic. What are your thoughts of the first eight issues of this and like how do you feel it exists without spoiling the future how do you feel like it holds up in comparison to the rest or like what is your experience of that uh i can see what 
people talk about when they say that Neil was kind of finding his voice Mm -hmm. and that he, I think one of the things that Neil complains about it is that he felt he was trying to fit himself into an existing universe and then later on just let himself tell the stories he wanted. And early on, he feels he stumbled. Um, I don't think he stumbled so much because, and what's really impressed me about it is like the depth of knowledge that he had. Like when you look back on those first eight podcasts that we have, there is so much just mythological and even just DC-based comic knowledge that's being brought out and woven into what Neil was doing. So I think he basically, if there's any flaws there, it's because he went for a super high degree of difficulty, right? So I, I can see the flaws. I go, yeah, I get it. You feel like it's a stumble. But at the same time, holy cow, look what you did with all of these former DC comic hosts and weaving them into this new mythology you've got and making them all aspects and all connected little storytellers and then going forward and, you know, showing us hell and all that other stuff. Just super difficult uh, to pull off at all. And I think he pulled it off really, really well. But yeah, with no spoilers, um, I don't... Preludes and Nocturnes is not one that I go back to to, to read for enjoyment all that often. Okay. I'll say that. I, there's quite a few more that I... There's other that stuff I would that you're enjoy more drawn to. That I'm very much like... Uh, I think and most people who've read through The Sandman would agree. If you're going to try to hook somebody on The Sandman, there's actually some little... like solo stories that you can hand somebody Mm -hmm. and they don't need to really know who dream is you barely do with this story this is a great example tales in the sand you could have somebody who doesn't really know any hasn't read any of the previous sandman comics who doesn't know who dream is and could just read this comic about a mortal i mean spoilers we're talking about something that you should have read already as we keep mentioning (laughs) but about a mortal who falls in love with the dream king who is older than gods and won't even die like a god and you can get that story beginning middle and end without knowing that later on he finds her in hell and still hasn't forgiven her yeah this this issue could absolutely be published in an anthology on its own yeah of other non- Neil Gaiman things, you know, like it could it could stand alone for sure. That's what I find about so many of the the next batches and and even some of the single so many of the single issues that we're going to be coming up to um is that they do they just stand alone that you can go, okay. "Oh, would you like a comic to read that has some stories in it? Here you go, read this one." That is going to make my future predicting much more challenging. Yeah, well, so <laughs> I will say that The Doll's House is a series of connected stories. This Ooh. one is kind of a prologue. This um, one's a palette cleanser. Yeah, Although I kind of thought the last one the was last a palette one cleanser was too. as well. I think this one's easing you into the storytelling. This is a second palette cleanser. Yeah, there's he's got a few that that stories that will just kind of in the middle of what else he's telling, he'll just be like, and now another story that I want to tell, which is mm. part of what I love about the Sandman, that it allowed Neil to go. You know, I really want to try my hand at telling an oral tradition style story. Sure. My own. Make it my own, but try that oral tradition, but written down and then done as a comic. Mm -hmm. Which is, let's get into it, what we've got here in issue nine of the Sandman Tales in the Sand. My summary for this issue is a freshly circumcised young man is told a tale of an ancient queen who fell in love with Dream and the consequences thereof. This is the story in the storyline, The Doll's House. It's in the collection, The Doll's House. Some of you might have a copy of The Doll's House collection that at the front actually has the sound of her wings again. Oh. And that's just because that kind that happened the, when they first made them. I'm not 
sure why, and so they've kind of stuck with it. In the Absolute Sandman, which collects the first three trade paperbacks together, of course, they don't reprint The Sound of Her Wings a second time in there, so you didn't get to see that, Sasha. No. But uh, other people do. The Doll's House trade paperback comes with a recap of what's happened so far, kind of a story so far written by Neil, and it reveals a few things in it that uh, we're pretty sure about. For instance, it notes that ne- that Dream does not die when the ruby is crushed, that it's not he gets di- he dies and gets reborn, mm-hmm. uh, That, but instead that he uh, just regains that power. At first, when I was reading through it, I thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to actually just read through this little story that he wrote, but it's quite, quite long. Okay. Uh, and I don't know about copyright and stuff, so if you can track this down, it's a, it's a pretty interesting little, in the beginning, it retells you what happened, talks about the pouch being lost. It's kind of a short story telling you what happened in the first nine issues. And what's your... The so first the, eight issues, sorry. It's just a, like the TLDR version is... That it's just a little summary of it? It starts with, It was not enough that Roderick Burgess was an evil man, but he was a vain one and presumptuous. He was not content with riches or with the leadership of the Order of Ancient Mysteries, although the Order was in no wise ancient, having been founded only 16 years earlier at the turn of the century by Burgess himself. He desired notoriety among his peers, and he craved physical immortality. The year was 1916. In the world outside, the Great War dragged on, and in Fawny Rig, his Sussex house, Roderick Burgess conceived a plan. He would capture death bind the reaper and it continues from there it's a cool Mm. little cool story you can read it when we're done so this was released in september of 1989 Mm -hmm. it's part of the doll's house collection written by neil gaiman illustrated by mike dringenberg and malcolm jones iii colored by xylenol which is a color finishing house apparently letter by todd klein associate editor art young and editor karen berger so on the cover we obviously have uh, nada and dream Although she has like a jug on her head, which I don't mm-hmm. think a queen would like be doing. She wouldn't be the one walking around going to fetch water and bringing it back. No, I guess not. Neil notes in the Dust Covers book that this is my painting. It hangs on my stairs. I own it more or less by default. Dave offered me any one of the first nine paintings, and this was the one least likely to collapse, rust, dissolve, or fall off the wall, <sighs> and the one Dave was happiest to see go away. A few years later, Dave read an interview with me in which I had said that the original Doll's House trade paperback cover was my favorite, and he gave it to me as a birthday present. I just like that there's so many elements to this. There's the two characters uh, in the black and white panels gazing across at each other. Um, In the middle, there's the, um, what's it called? The bird. um, The raven. No, it's not a raven, though. It's the the bird that brings her the... It's the weaver the, bird. The weaver bird. That's I had what thought it was. it was one of dreams that it was dreams raven. Beneath them, there is this unbroken chain of people, like of of human figures, an unbroken chain, which mm-hmm. I think is supposed to represent the unbroken oral tradition, the story. And you know, now that I look at this like up close, I'm not sure that that is a water jug on her head. Oh, because it looks like it's got a fancy top to it, and it's quite shiny. Okay. So I'm wondering if it's supposed to be something ceremonial. Oh, maybe. Perhaps a really fancy version of a water jug that a woman would carry that perhaps a queen would put on her head. I don't know. I have no idea. But it's it's definitely reflecting or at least allows the branches to be seen through, or is that Dream's hair? It looks like branches, but I guess that's Dream's hair from the other side of the panel, right? Yeah. We have Dream's hair going up and going wild and crazy. Mm-hmm. Obviously inspired by Neil himself. 
Yeah. And that it looks like when I see it on its own on the right side, I think it's branches. On the right side, it looks like oil and water to me. Like what happens when you when you have like ink yeah. and water. Oh, yeah. And, ink and water. Sure. And then yeah, you yeah. add some oil and it, it makes this weird swirl. Yeah. And yeah. But that. you can see it through the jug she has on her head or it's reflected in it. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be a reflection or if it's transparent. Maybe. But I, I don't uh, I don't think that's just a clay jug. Mm hmm. And she's certainly got fancy clothes on like that. Yeah, representation. she's and, Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And you're totally right now that look at that is the weaver bird. That's not a raven beak. Yeah. It's a chubbier bird, I think. Yeah, yeah. Stout. So we begin with this big sweeping landscape of two figures walking through the desert uh, and splitting the middle of the the page is the uh, the pointy end of a spear. Mm-hmm. So they're talking about the stories that people tell each other. Uh, one thing to note is they um, they specifically mention that there are tales that women tell in the private tongue men children are never taught and older men are too wise to learn. And these tales are not told to men. Mm-hmm. I like that. And that will come back around by the end of the story. Yeah. Low tales, high tales, tales that are told and heard many, many times. One tale is only ever told once. Which, let's face it, when you do the math, can't work out. It can't possibly work out. If one person, if you only ever tell one young man in your life and Mm -hmm. they have to grow up to tell one man in their life, as soon as somebody dies, before they become old enough to tell somebody the story, you you are now missing an adult who can tell a young man. And you'll have all these young men. every man in the village. This happens to every man. It's just that the older man in his life is the one that does it for him. It says in this that it says sometime you will, one time you will do this. And so mm-hmm. they're saying that each old man only does it once. Oh. Right? It, and that can't be true. Yeah. It can't work out that way. Be. Because he will eventually have to tell it to, to two or three at some point. Probably not at the same time. I guess that can be true, that they take somebody out one at a time. Yeah. But they're going to have to have times where somebody will tell the story multiple times. You're right. <laughs> But it it sounds cooler this way. It does, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although maybe this is why this to- this story isn't told anymore in this world. Oh no, the math didn't work <laughs> out. They just they they all died off. Oh no. Uh, when we flip over the next page here, uh, what I really like is uh, if you look the top left panel, it's the two, it's the grandfather and grandson walking next to each other, and. Their figures carry down into the into the middle panel. Yeah. Um, but you can see the position of the grandfather's arms as he holds the spear has moved. So in the first one, they're still walking. And mm-hmm. then in the second, or I guess it's kind of the third panel, he's put the spear down in front of them to stop and say and enough. Say enough, yeah. And I just love it. It's so seamless, mm-hmm. but it works. It was something I didn't notice until my second read through and was like, oh, that is so neat. Nice. Yeah, that's a good catch. I didn't notice that either. Mm-hmm. And the young the young man, the grandson, I'll probably refer to him as the grandson for mm-hmm. all this, he's just been circumcised mm-hmm. and he's doing his rite of manhood. Yeah, circumcision uh, as a rite of passage into manhood is actually common in many cultures. Mm-hmm. The Maasai in Africa still do it. For this tribe, hearing this particular story is as much an important part of becoming an adult member of the tribe yeah. as this young man's circumcision will be. It's, it's you know, it's all tied together. Uh, so they have walked to this wide, empty desert space. And the grandfather asks for the 
the bundle of firewood and he tells the grandson that he must go and find something and bring it back. Mm -hmm. And when you've brought it, I will tell you the tale. What must I find? Mm -hmm. You will know it when you find it. That's got to be frightening, right? This is the transition to manhood and they're not going to tell me what I have to find? Ah. And yet it seems that they must always find the right thing. So maybe There's it's There's probably lots of these shards out, out here in the desert. And it would be so unusual to find a shard of glass. Yeah. He has the story about why there's glass all around. Yeah. It was, the glass was once part of a city. Also, it's a uh, heart of glass. It is heart-shaped, yeah. Was that love and it was a gas. And that's Soon found out, had a heart Pretty glass. definite. I mean, there's a few <laughs> spots where it looks kind of just lumpy and it could be a coincidence, but I think specifically in the, in the panel where he says, give it to me, and you look at it and it's very shrunk down, it is so perfectly heart-shaped. It's a heart. And it's totally the, yeah, a heart. it totally is. In every shot, it's And a heart. we're talking about, you know, a forbidden love story. Yeah. Yeah. This is what Blondie was really writing that song about. Heart of Glass? Yeah. Oh. She uh, went back in time to write that? Oh, when was that released? Oh, Heart of Glass was in the 70s. Really? Yeah. Ah, it shows what I know. (laughs) (laughs) So we hear the tale of the city. The space where they were sitting at one point was not a desert, but it was a fertile land with a city that was so large that you couldn't walk across it in a single day. Yeah. He's... Hyperbolizing here, I decided to look up how far can somebody walk in a day generally, Mm -hmm. like not, you know, a a competition, but just if he's giving a general, if you walked for a day, how far would it go? It's about 50 kilometers, 30 miles. Okay. The city probably wasn't that big. No, that's that's pretty far. Yeah, Um, I mean, he's also telling a story that he heard once and, (laughs) you know, like that, that, that long line of, 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 you know, hearing a story one after another after another. You probably exaggerate some things. Anyway, it was a city. Mm -hmm. It's worth noting. There's a big city. It was built of glass. For this is the place that the first people began, and the first people were of our tribe. That is our secret, and we never tell outsiders, for they would kill us if they knew. But it is the truth. Yeah, we're special. We don't tell anybody how special we are, because they'll get all jealous. We were totally the first people. We were totally the first. Because there's probably like dozens of tribes who are like, we were the first. No, that was our city. That was our city. Oh, sure. So when we flip over the page here, we absolutely get a Disney princess opening. I want (laughs) to see this Disney movie starring Queen Nada. Yeah. So a Disney queen opening, not Disney princess. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's 16 years old. No, no. Okay, I want to point this out. She's not By 16. the time she reached her 16th year, she was the most beautiful woman the sun had ever seen in her travels across the sky. But then she grew up from there. It's just the oral tradition of, oh, and by the time she was 16, she was the most beautiful woman in the world. Unlike those other women who take a long time to bloom into beauty or something. It's kind of what he's trying to imply. Okay. Right? I want to hear a story mm. about a queen uh. who was just a real awkward teenager. Yeah. All elbows and freckles and all that, who then grew up to be, uh, I mean, you know, relatively good looking. But Wonder Woman. Mostly... Should have, Wonder Woman should have been an awkward, oh my God, yes. an awkward teen. Yes. Also grows up to be like a really good ruler because that's more important than how pretty you are. Yeah. But I just want to hear about the awkward teenage ruler. They all think they're awkward, right? All these beautiful, perfect Disney princesses all think that they're awkward. (laughs) I mean, Frozen in Frozen Anna is pretty awkward. (laughs) 
She doesn't look awkward. She looks like a supermodel. She can ride but... bicycles around the hall. Yeah. Like, she's totally agile. Okay, she's awkward in, like, a... She's socially awkward. She's awkward in, um, in like, a pretty in pink kind of... I'm the... That's the exact fake awkward I'm talking about. Yeah. Pretty in pink. Oh, Molly Ringwald. You're so looked down on. Yeah, Molly Ringwald, mm, yeah. Rat Pack days, uh -huh. for sure. Yeah. Is it Rat not, Pack or Brat Not that beautiful people don't have troubles, right? No, of course. But, but at the same time, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, this beautiful person has troubles. Her trouble is she had no man. There's, there's no man for me. I'm too good. <laughs> When the women of the tribe would say to her that she should take a husband, she would turn to them and say, where then is the man for me? And they were all quiet because mm -hmm. they knew she was better than everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in walks a stranger. Flames danced in the blackness of his robe, and his eyes were stars in deep pools of dark water. Does that sound like somebody you that's, know? Yeah, that's dream, right? Yeah, yeah, it sounds like dream. What I really like, um, I want to note about in particular his locks in comparison to all the other people's mm -hmm. um locks is like his really well articulate the same kind of way his hair was when it's long and straight yeah yeah it's and by straight i mean just totally big explosion of hair out of explosion. his head yeah. yeah and yeah so his locks have that kind of sticking out in the same shape whereas everyone else who has locks in this they're their own kind of unique yeah. hair shape yeah i like it i like his hair mm-hmm and so he walks to the bottom of her tower and he looks up at her and she... Her heart was stolen away. Yeah, yeah. And she couldn't sleep. But she didn't have stupidly long hair to throw down to the tower for him because <laughs> this is not that story. Um, <laughs> and she couldn't sleep. And in the morning, she ordered that the stranger be brought to her, but he was not in the city at all. Nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. Um, so we flip over the page and we find out that she has access to some more supernatural kind mm -hmm. of uh, people to talk to than we would today. Well, because in those days, the gods still walked the earth and wore flesh and they made their homes in the hot lands of the north. So what kind of bird is this bird god, do you think? I'm not sure. I, the Salmon Annotations thinks it might be an ostrich, though an ostrich, uh, even all white, would doesn't have... It looks like it's supposed to have feathers uh, on its neck. Maybe not, but uh, it looks like an ostrich. It could be a moa, but it seems to have distinct wings, so I, I think this is just a mythical, you know, giant bird. Just a great swan-like bird. could be bird, a big swan-like bird. Its little, legs aren't yeah. very swan-like. No, exactly. And its head uh, is much smaller than its neck. I, I think this could just be some kind of ancient king of the birds or, or, you know, a mythical relative of the extinct Moa. So King Bird asks all the other birds, yo, have you seen this dude? And all the birds are like, no, we ain't seen this dude. And then they hear this one little bird. And this little weaver bird had seen Dream. And Dream was very nice to her and gave her some grain and had smiled at her. Uh, and then he disappeared. Mm-hmm. And the bird king was like, he disappeared. Oh, no. <laughs> so he's not human and he's not a god. So you should leave him alone, girl. Uh, the bird king basically sassy gay friended her. <laughs> yeah. And was like, girl, you stay away from him. Go find yourself a real boy. He is not worth it. He is nothing but trouble. Mm hmm. I wish I had a sassy gay friend bird king god friend 
god bird friend. But the weaver bird didn't listen to her own king. Well, he wasn't. Te- he didn't tell the weaver bird to do that. Well, he said he, you should stay away from this guy. Sure, and but the, the weaver king, bird was like, "I'll help you find that guy." But the god king never explicitly said, right. "Yo, little weaver bird, don't help." Okay, this if you girl. want to get technical, sure, but I don't think that's going to hold up in bird court because bird king makes the bird law. Hmm. I guess that makes sense. And the weaver bird says there's a tree that grows on the mountains of the sun, and on that tree grow berries of flame, and if a human were to swallow a berry from the tree, it would take them to the side of their true love. Mm. And she says, how am I going to get it? And the bird's like, oh, I'll go get it for you. I'll get it for you. (laughs) This is totally oral tradition. It's basically in the middle of a story about this. They've created a little myth about why the weaver bird is brown. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, oh, it used to be white, but then it fetched this berry for nada, and it had to fly too close to the mountains of the sun, and it came back all burned brown. I thought it wasn't just from the heat of the sun, but also because the berry itself is on fire. And so weaver birds are brown, and she gets the berry, and she promises the weaver bird that in that land, no one will ever harm her. And we go back to grandfather saying, so it is forbidden to eat weaver bird flesh or to harm a weaver bird. And that is why we let them weave their nests in our village. (laughs) Meanwhile, Nada goes back to her palace and she swallows the berry and she wakes up in the dream world. Yeah. And who are the first people she sees when she's in the dream world? But Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, and they're arguing about a sacrifice they had given for one of the men who'd given meat and the other had given fruit. That is basically a summary of their story from Genesis 4, which is that Cain was a tiller of soil and grew fruits and vegetables and Mm -hmm. things like that. Fruit of the land is what it was called, which doesn't necessarily mean fruit. It means things that grow Mm -hmm. out of the soil. And that's what he offered up to God, whereas Abel had animals and he offered the fattest and freshest young animals from his flock as a meat sacrifice okay and god was like yeah i like that meat sacrifice bacon is good (laughs) cain what is wrong with you your offering was not that good and cain got really mad and took abel away and stabbed him to death because he was so mad about that and that's the story of cain and abel and so she is witnessing it originally happening or just you know being told again but this time about the actual thing that it was about rather than telling secrets or mysteries Wow. Yeah. Okay. That I actually didn't know. The I knew that Cain and Abel were like I knew that they were a biblical story of a brother killing another brother, but I didn't know the story of of the actual argument they had. It seems kind of petty now that I think about it. Like seriously, get over it. I I can read you out the King James version because it's kind of cool sounding. If sure. Like. And Adam knew Eve, his wife. That means they had sex. And she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. It means he looked sad. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou dost well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou dost not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. 
And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Uh, it goes on from there. That's so, where he gets punished. He gets he gets the what's called the mark of Cain. Uh, but the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. So he punished Cain by booting him out. Hmm. But he said he has to live forever with the guilt of killing his brother. So if anybody, I've marked him with my God mark. And if anybody kills him or harms him, they will get seven times as much onto them because I'm God. So in this story, mm. God was kind of a dick. God's a dick a lot. Especially I mean, Cain in was kind old, of a dick too, but like... Old Testament God was kind of a jerk, yeah. But like these two dudes who didn't ask to be born, they're born yeah. and they, they work hard yeah. in their lives. Mm -hmm. And the first really cool thing that they both make... You know, from their both very respectable decisions of making cool things and both right. very important, they bring to God, they don't owe God anything, you know, really. They didn't ask to be created. And so they bring it to him as a gift and God's all like, yeah, love me some fat sheep. And like just disrespects the gardening <laughs> required and the work that that Cain does and then he calls Cain a sinner for being upset like God has gone and yeah. levied his love as like the most ultimate thing you're supposed to want and then he hands it out in a real unfair way and then calls you bad for being upset mm -hmm. what a dick yeah Caustic Soda did a whole episode on Jehovah the, and why uh, he's a dick and kind of what a jerk he is yeah 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 what a jerk CausticSodaPodcast.com if you want to check out that podcast. <sighs> what a jerk. Abel dies. He gets killed. And uh, and Nada comes over to Abel's body and asks him, what is this place? And apparently Abel can still talk while being dead. This is the realm of sleep and dream, ruled by Kaikul, the lord of dreams. That house is his house. Kaikul is what Nada called dream in issue four when he mm -hmm. saw her in hell. Uh, so she heads up to Dream's house and the guardians let her in because they can tell that she has a flaming berry inside of her. And she heads up to his real big, cool looking throne mm -hmm. and he's wearing the mask and he has the ruby on. Yeah, because this, of course, happened 10,000 years ago. And he definitely had so the he ruby. he still 10, has the ruby. Yeah. yeah. And he asks, who are you? Why have you come here? Like as if he doesn't remember her from the night before. Is that what that means? I think so. Wow. He yeah. just goes around and looks at pretty girls and makes them fall in love with them, and then he just forgets them. I think that maybe she fell in love with him, but he hadn't seen her yet. But he looked up at her. Okay, that's fine. What? Maybe he didn't. Did, did we Did we learn that he fell in love? No. No, we didn't learn that he fell in love. No, no. Like uh, He looked up. She looked out of her window, and she saw him below, and her heart was stolen away. Yeah. So maybe he didn't exactly see her that well or didn't know her well enough to fall in love. But like, he sure does pretty darn quick here. Yeah, I'm just going to throw it out there. Mm. Uh, my opinion of Dream in this issue is that he is a huge dick. Like, I know I just went on a rant about how God is a dick. But yeah. Dream, huger dick in this one. I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. 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 
Um, so prepare yourselves <laughs> for me to call him a dick a lot. So she came in. She basically describes Dream to mm-hmm. uh, the guy in the mask and says that I'm in love with him. And I came all the way here uh, because uh, he stood underneath my tower and he was really attractive. And mm-hmm. I'm in love with him. He takes off the hood and he smiles. And it's, yeah, and she sees, oh, that's you. Oh, damn. It was you the whole time. Because she had confessed her love to one of the endless who are not gods and will never die like gods. Yeah, so So, gods die. So gods can die, which I I guess is because their worshippers change, right? Because there are gods from the past that are no longer worshipped, so you could kind of argue that they die. And in the twin stars of his eyes, she saw he loved her too. Yeah, oops. When she sees that he's in love with her, she basically hits the note button real hard and yeah. she throws up the berry. She coughs it up. Yeah. The Sandman Annotations does note that the triple repetition and she coughed and coughed until she coughed up the berry is a common motif in oral tradition. It provides rhythm and reinforcement. So she, yeah, she coughs up the berry and that whisks her away from the throne room into her own room. But Sandman followed her. And he asks her, why did you hunt me? And why do you flee me? And she says, I hunted you because I love you more than any mortal man has ever been loved by a woman. And I fled you because it is not given to mortals to love the endless. So she knows, mm-hmm. like, this is not right. We should not, this is not going to work out. Yeah, she she understands what the Bird King was talking about. Yeah. And um, Sandman doesn't take a no. Yeah, you know. He does not take a no. But love, he yeah. says. Yeah. Only disaster can follow it. Disaster for you, disaster for me, disaster for my people. And he's like, no one's ever loved me enough to follow me anywhere. <laughs> and you know what? I don't care. <laughs> Just take a nobody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he wants to marry her and take her as his bride. And he swears that she can rule the dreams of all that dream by his side. And she can be with him forever, never to die as mankind knows death. And he swears by the ruby. And she is like, her reaction to this is that she is scared Mm -hmm. and she runs away. For love is no part of the dream world. Love belongs to desire and desire is always cruel. Mm. And we have not. You were wanting more endless. There's some mention of one. Yeah, we get a little endless spoiler there, but and desires cruel. Mm-hmm. So she turns into a gazelle, which I didn't know she could do. Mm-hmm. That's pretty well, cool. Well, again, this is an oral tradition story. Mm-hmm. So my feeling is, that, you know, the way that these stories work is it's she ran as fast as a gazelle. And mm-hmm. then it was like she ran and was in a pack of gazelles. And then it's she turned into a gazelle. Okay. That's that's how these oral traditions tend to go. I think that's what Neil is showing here. Yeah, and in different stories, people have different abilities and they can become animals mm-hmm. and also different different kinds of these stories, like you have the ability for animals to talk and stuff and then for people to yeah. you know, be them. And this also them. has a little bit of the feel of the game in Hell against the Demon where... 
they kept coming up with things and then counter things because she turns into a gazelle and he turns into a hunter. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And when she takes her form and she says, I'm not a virgin anymore. And he goes, I don't care. I'm not a man. I don't have that culture that mm-hmm. tells me not to, to care about that stuff. I'm all about the love. And when he when she gives up her, her maiden head, which she takes with a sharp rock, which mm-hmm. would suck. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, she's also, if you think about it, if this is... If her thought is to do this, that's pr- pretty much telling you that she, her in her culture, her virginity is very, very valuable, which means that she's kind of making it so she couldn't marry anyone by doing yeah, that. Yeah, this about is it. a pretty severe no. Yeah. Uh, and where the blood fell, red flowers grew. And yeah, and he says, that's cool. I don't care about that. It's all good. He heals her and they make love. Uh, in his flaming cloak, which is pretty cool. And every living thing that could dream, dreamed of love. Yeah, which is sweet. But then the sun rises up and the sun sees them together and the sun is like, oh no, that was not supposed to happen. And so the sun throws this huge fireball down and it hits the city of glass and it explodes it and it becomes a desert. A desert strewn with shards of glass, just like this one. Right. So now we have the, and here's why there are shards of glass here story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Nada saw what happened. She saw what happened to her city. And she said, worse will come of this. Like, this is only the beginning, mm-hmm. pretty much. If we stay together, it won't just be this city. It'll be the world. And so she took his hand. She pressed herself against him. And then she threw herself off the mountain. So she commits suicide. And the grandfather says, and this is also in the tale, and this is the way my mother's brother told this to me, and his father told it to him and back and back through uncounted generations. After Nada dies, she awakens in the realm of death. On the borders of the realm of death. Yeah, the borders of the realm of death. And... Dream Lord has followed her. He can follow her anywhere, apparently. And he gets all pissy. He does. You hurt me and you could have been my queen, and instead you chose the realm of grandmother death. Well, you know what? Did you see a city blow up, Dream? Yeah. Because she saw her city blow up. He cares about love. Ugh. Get over yourself. (laughs) Ugh. And then the threat. Ugh. Ugh. If you refuse me a third time, I will condemn your soul to eternal pain. <sighs> I'm just so done with Dream. This <laughs> story did not endear me to him at all. And yeah, just get over yourself. So she says, how can I be your queen? For my people are no more because of what I did. And my city is a waste. If I were to stay with you, still darker things would happen. Mortals do not marry the endless, my love. Now leave me to the realm of grandmother death, dream lord, and forget me. Like she's, she says to him, just like let me just be dead. Let mm-hmm. me just do the thing that people do when they die, which is my right as a human. Yeah, to just live that. Don't, and, don't make me say no a third time. I've said no enough. Yeah, I'm just gonna walk away, and he forces her to answer. But the dream lord is a proud one, and for the last time, he asked her to be his bride. We go back to the grandfather and the grandson. Mm-hmm. And the grandson says, what happened? Grandfather says, that's the story. 
That's the whole thing. It's the way my uncle told it to me and the way his father told it to him, the way you too must tell it in your turn. And the grandson says, like, that's not a story. That's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't say it's bullshit for the same reasons I say it's bullshit. Yeah. He wanted a happy ending. He wanted to know the ending. He wanted to know the answer. When part of it is when you're old enough, you understand what the answer is. You understand how that story has to go from there. Yeah. Yeah. That Which she, is... to be an adult, like this was her rite of passage, essentially, into, you know, to choose the right path which unfortunately was to be sent to hell because someone is petulant and she had no she her choices were taken away from her yeah she did everything she could she ended up in hell for ten thousand years her choice wasn't taken away from her she still could have chosen to be with dream she still made the choice she just chose hell over condemning humanity you're right so she didn't have her choice taken away from her she had all the good choices taken away from her Mm -hmm. (laughs) but well she the freedom to make her choice without consequence yeah right about her own life yeah yeah so what else could she say yeah and because it's forbidden to take that glass that was mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. they just throw it back into the desert there's probably lots of it out there again because they bring everybody out there and they have to find some glass to bring it back i think it's going to be uh it's going to be fairly common out there Mm -hmm. and we get the mention there is another version of the tale That is the tale the women tell each other in their private language that the men children are not taught, that the old men are too wise to learn. And in that version of the tale, perhaps things happened differently. But then that is a woman's tale, and it is never told to men. Mm -hmm. There is no answer to what that tale is that I know of. Yeah. But I'm a li- I I think I know what it might be. I have a feeling as to what it might be. Yeah. What, what do you uh, think? What's your thought on that? Well, she kept saying no. And then there's the part where they made love. Mm-hmm. And there was no explanation of her saying yes or anything. Okay. I think Dream was even worse. Oh. And I think the women tell that story. And the mm. men get to tell their little romantic one about pursuing the, the most beautiful woman ever from as, as a god. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they still get the lesson of bad things happen. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, yeah, I feel like the women, the woman's story is probably quite a bit more about Dream being bad. Yeah, I can as, see that. As bad as he is in this one, really. Mm-hmm. But this one is a very romanticized, male, patriarchal kind of way of telling the story, right? I think part of this is a cautionary tale in that, in that the young man obviously, well, maybe obviously is the wrong word, um because that's from my perspective. But it to me, it sounds like a cautionary tale to a young man in that if he loves someone, if he acts out in vengeance against them, that that's maybe a bad thing to do, right? Like that that you're not supposed to like what Dream did here. Maybe that's why we're teaching but he never man. gets he never even gets told. I guess. Right? That's for him to kind of understand mm. that it happens. Okay. Right? Because they don't even tell that part. They tell the part just about her and the dream lord and they get all the stories about why there's glass and why the weaver bird is brown Mm -hmm. uh, and why there are red flowers probably growing in a certain place Mm -hmm. things like that but then the one story he doesn't get which is her punishment that she got punished because of him doesn't even get told but the grandfather says though when he says uh, the grandson says what happened Mm -hmm. like what did nada say 
And what happened? And the grandfather says, she said no. What else could she say? Yeah. But it's not told. It's not driven home. No. He has to. He has to figure it out. I mean, obviously, yeah. the grandfather has told him, but I'm guessing that there are wiser kids who go, oh, so she had to say no, I guess. That's how that story ended. Yeah. So do you think that the story is intended to be a tale about responsibility and about how even if it doesn't it benefit you in the end, it's still the most important thing to choose the responsibility to your tribe or to your your people? Yeah, it's probably about following the rules, right? Like the yeah. rule of, of, oh, the rule of mortals don't fall in love with endless and the whole city gets exploded, right? Whereas there are going to be other rules like we, this is why we don't eat the weaver bird mm-hmm. and this is why we don't do that. And you have to follow all those rules. And here's the story of, how we lost our giant city because mm-hmm. because it, we were the people and this is how we lost our entire city and our, our civilization all because our queen fell in love with one of the endless which is a rule you don't break so this seems to be a story about you have to follow the rules and she was lost she basically was lost as soon as she didn't heed the bird god's warning yeah because that was her chance to stop mm-hmm that was the one chance she got to stop. Uh, everything past that, all of those chances for her to survive this thing were taken away from her. Yeah. But the Bird King didn't give her all the information, right? He didn't say it's one of the endless. Because as soon as she found out it was one of the endless, she knew that it was wrong. Mm. So I'm not sure why she didn't heed the Bird King's warning. It's entirely possible, again, this being an oral tradition story. There was no Bird King. This is the totally fancified version of just there was an ancient queen who fell in love with Dream, who said no to him, who or part made of the, love to him, and then finally said no and got and left him and got damned to hell. Or part of the moral is that she didn't heed her the advice of a of a an elder or mm-hmm. whomever, right? The person giving the advice. The to gods her. She, when they told her leave it alone, don't do it, no good can come of this. She said, well, I must be an exception. This must be an exception. So I will have to discover it for myself. And in choosing to discover it for herself, she then doomed everyone. Because as soon as she showed up to Dream, Dream didn't give a shit until she showed up. Yeah, but it was it was the Weaver Bird's idea. She left. She It says here, Anatta lowered her head. She left that place. But the Weaver Bird followed her. And the Weaver Bird said, I've heard that there's a tree that grows. Yeah. So... We've again we've got a little disconnect in, but how did this happen? Which is kind of, I think, a part of oral traditions, right? That the story doesn't always fit together perfectly, that there are pieces missing because this is not the whole truth. Mm-hmm. Because it's been told many, many times. And I think Neil has put those flaws in here because he's trying to recreate that flawed way of storytelling. Yeah. So we don't know exactly what happened. What we've heard is that there is a tale that the women hear, and it perhaps things happen differently. They might get the one not embellished with gods. They might get the actual full story, Maybe, right? Yeah. That's a little more brutal, a little uh, less mythical, which makes it a little rougher to hear. Who knows? <sighs> yeah, I. Neil knows from this the way this story is told. It makes me feel like the way that I felt when I read that page out of uh, the story that takes place in hell, A Hope in Hell, mm-hmm. makes me feel a little 
because I think if you go back, my reaction to that was like, what could she possibly have done? You know, what did she do? And I thought about it and I was trying to think of all these horrible things she could have done to him to make him act that way. Mm-hmm. And all she did was say no, because yeah, it would have destroyed everything. And you know that when the when it all came back around and fell like when the other because okay so if they did that thing you know the other endless would probably come after them in some way and be like yo you have to stop and all that and you know what this petulant dream boy would have done he probably would have blamed it on her yeah you know what i mean if she had decided to marry him and done all that and then all of humanity got destroyed and people were mad you know he would have blamed it on her yeah because he is a little man child in this story Dream is certainly not a perfect character. He is flawed. Yeah. Also worth noting is that the art of the two characters in this issue versus in A Hope in Hell is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, both characters look very different. Dream's face in A Hope in Hell is much narrower. It's like longer and narrower. It looks a lot more like the like white version of his character looks right yeah and his hair is very straight and and short like a, maybe like a couple inches mm-hmm. long and a grayish color whereas in this story his face is much rounder and uh it's le- definitely less of a long face and he's got uh locks like quite full long locks um and she looks very different when she's in hell her face shape is different she has red markings on her face she has like a face paint on or, or uh, facial tattoos. I'm not sure what those are. Um, whereas in this story, she's different. And her features are just very different mm-hmm. in both stories. Well, she was in hell for 10,000 years. That can be pretty wearing on your complexion. I guess, yeah. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. But at the same time, again, this is an oral tradition story. This is a story that's been retold and retold and might not be exactly accurate. Mm-hmm. So the descriptions that he's giving, which we don't, get descriptions of what they look like exactly because we're getting a comic version might be enhanced or different, right? I mean, we already had the tale that she was the most beautiful woman ever. And maybe she wasn't beautiful. But maybe she wasn't. Maybe it was just her maybe, determination to follow him was what, yeah. you know, maybe she didn't need to be beautiful to have a love at first sight story. Exactly. Yeah. That makes sense. Next issue is entitled The Doll's House. You have no idea what that means. I have no clue. At all. So what do you think is going to happen? Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Dream is going to shrink down to small size. Okay. And he's going to have a series of adventures with the borrowers. Okay. And if you're not familiar with who the borrowers are, they're, (laughs) I don't even know what, which writer wrote the original one, um, wrote the the story, but they are tiny little people who live in your house and they steal your little items. Mary Norton. Mary Norton. All right. Um, And she she wrote about the borrowers and they live, yeah, they live like in the walls of old homes. Mm -hmm. And when you lose paper clips and and different little things, they take them and that's what they they use. Yeah. So he's going to hang out with the borrowers because they also would take doll's furniture. Like in a doll's house is what you're saying? He's going to shrink down and live in a doll's house with the borrowers? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Or, you know, something like that. Yeah. That's my guess. Okay. We'll see what happens next issue. Mm-hmm. See you all there. You've been dreaming of the Sandman, issue nine, Tales in the Sand. 
For links, images, and show notes, visit thedreaming.motivedust.com. Support future episodes at patreon.com slash thedreaming. Rate and review us on your favorite podcast app, and please tell your friends. Our theme music is Oneri by Kai Engel. Hear more at kaiengel.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. I'm Joe Fuldrum. Thanks for listening. Time to wake up.